Welcome to Jewish Women Talk About Midlife. Hi, I'm Devara Krasniansky, and I've been coaching women for a long time in all areas of life. And more recently, I'm focusing on working with women in midlife. Midlife is an exciting time, but it's also somewhat confusing. And so I invite experts to join me here on my podcast to unpack this crazy and interesting time of our lives. You can join our conversations on our Facebook group, Jewish Women Talk About Midlife. And this episode, I spoke with Rosalie Schatzman, a weight loss coach, about, well, losing weight and then maintaining it. Throughout the conversation, Rosalie shared many interesting and useful tips. Did you know that for some women, it's important to eat more in order to lose weight and that carbs are good, but it's better to eat those in the morning? We also spoke about how to navigate the smorgs at weddings and restaurants when traveling and how to use food journals to plan your eating. Another great episode. Enjoy. Rosalie, I'm so excited to be talking about this important topic of nutrition. I speak to many women, midlife especially, where they're saying they, they're eating the same way they used to eat in their 20s, 30s, and even in the earlier 40s, and now they're gaining weight. They're doing the same things. Are you seeing that a lot in your practice? But before we even talk about it, I want to thank you, Rosalie Schatzman, for talking about this important topic of nutrition, of how to eat properly in this midlife. So, Rosalie, talk a little thank bit. Thank you so you much do. for having me, Devora. Glad to be here. All right. So, what do you do in general? Uh, you don't only work with women in midlife, but what do you, let's talk a little bit about what you do. I work with the entire population from teenagers up until senior citizens, women, men. I see a lot of different types of clients. My specialty is the from community because I tell people Shabbos comes every week, holidays come. We have so many simchas and it's especially difficult for the from population. So that is my specialty. And you mentioned how women in their 20s and 30s and 40s and on seem to be eating the same, but their weight keeps on going up. I do see that a lot. I think what it is, people don't really know how to eat. They just do eat. Never taught about portion size. They were never taught about how to plan, how to prepare, how to really eat. So what I do and what I pride myself in doing is teaching people how to eat, not how to diet. Diets don't work. They never did. They never will. You go on a diet, you go off a diet. What I do is empower people to learn how to eat for life. So eat, not diet. Correct. And there's a skill and an art to eating properly. That's what I'm getting. 100%. And I don't think people are really taught that um, because parents don't really know what portion sizes to see to serve their children. You go to restaurants on Central Avenue and they give humongous size portions. The bigger, the better. We are a supersized nation. If you go to Europe, on the other hand, they give normal size portions and they don't have quite the same epidemic that we have here in the United States, the obesity epidemic. I'm also um, so, finding some restaurants give very small portions and you feel like you haven't eaten enough. And so you decide that you're spending a lot more money. You end up eating that is, as much as a supersized. That is the more upper scale restaurants in Manhattan. But if you go to some of the more fast food type of restaurants, bigger is better. Definitely. Which is not true. We really, most people don't know what a portion size is. They guess they give children the same as adults, which should not be happening. As women age, their metabolism does slow down. So we do need to cut back a little bit. We don't always realize that. That's why I see a very big increase with the weight gain with women in their 40s and 50s. And they're desperate to learn how to eat because they don't know what's happening. 
I think that the women in the 40s and 50s, kind of by the definition, their parents, were, which were about 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't really taught. It wasn't how we grew up. There was a lot of either larger portions and or greasy, like schmaltz was a thing back then, mm -hmm. which we don't even talk about. So while maybe- Ribbonist. Do you remember Ribbonist? Ribbonist. Oh, no, I wouldn't touch it, but I know the name. I've seen it. I've smelled okay. it. But uh, I think that we know not to eat it, but I think still the education, the way we grew up around food, I think is still showing up in the way we talk about food and the way we eat food. Yeah, I think there is still remnants of the Holocaust mentality where parents wanted you to clean your plate because they didn't have the same benefit of having food. And I'm seeing a lot of older adults now too, with that mentality that they feel like they have to finish what's on their plate, even if they're not hungry. And it's caused a lot of damage. I make people realize that, yeah, you eat until you're comfortably full. You don't have to clean your plate. Also something interesting. The plates in the 1950s and 60s were much smaller than the plates in the 2000s, about 75% smaller. The cabinet size was smaller back in the yeah, 50s narrower. and 60s. They were narrower. So with our affluence, with gaining so much technologically, we've also gained the weight because we have bigger portions, bigger sizes. And we haven't really learned what a real portion is. So I also find that with the midlife, especially people who start eating out a little bit more, maybe it's time because they have the time and or they have the money. And I'm also finding as eating out as, as hosts and hosts want a hostess wants to make a nice meal. So they mm -hmm. put out a lot of food. I'm guilty of that also. <laughs> and then the guests kind of have to eat or don't want to eat or feel like they should eat because there's so much effort was put into it. So it's an interesting right. dilemma because the host is really put in effort and it's probably very delicious and pretty. And then the I other side back is a little eating. bit. Right. My forte was desserts. I used to love making a variety of desserts. I know I'm a weight loss coach, but I love making desserts, but I've come to realize that people really don't appreciate all that food. It tastes good. It looks good. But simpler is sometimes better. So I don't go all out with desserts now. I don't push food. No, when people don't want to eat. I respect that. Restaurants, on the other hand, it's their job to make the food taste good. They add a lot of salt. They add a lot of hidden fats. They add a lot of hidden sugars. So you really have to be careful when you go out to eat. You have to know what you're getting. Also, my feeling is the customer is always right. If you don't want something in your food, mention it. Salt is a very bad thing to add to your food as well as the sugar. People don't realize it. They always talk about the sugar content of food, but salt is equally as detrimental. The, I've read recently that if you cut back only a little bit on salt, it would save ultimate heart disease and heart attacks and strokes. Wow. And that's just by cutting back a little bit. Just a little bit. I want to go back to the eating when you have the food is presented to you and you know that there was so much effort put into it. How do you balance that? What do you suggest to people? Well, for the hostess herself or himself, don't go so, so crazy. <laughs> In other words, moderation is key. For the people eating the food, again, moderation, a little bit of everything. That's what I teach my clients. It's all about portion control, eating in moderation. And again, someone's moderation may be different than someone else's. So I teach what a portion exactly is. Shabbos is meant to be enjoyed. But I always quote the Rambam also in saying that 
it's meant to be enjoyed within certain guidelines. Right. In other words, everything should be in moderation. Life in general, we should have no extremes, nothing too too little or nothing too much. It should be in moderation. All right. So I'm coming in to you and I need to lose, let's say 20 pounds, whatever the number is. It doesn't really matter what my number Mm -hmm. is. And so what would we do? What would we start exploring about my eating habits? First off, um, I would get your stats in terms of any medical conditions. That determines what your weight should be. Um, I do set the goal weight for my clients. I don't let them set the goal weight. Nine times out of 10, people set too high goal weights, and that's why they gain their weight back. It's called yo-yo dieting. You go on a diet, you go off. What you do you mean by really... too high? The meaning they have I'm too much. explain that. Okay, go ahead. Many people uh, don't realize there are two types of fat on your body. One is the fat you see on top of your body. It's called the subcutaneous fat. It's above your skeleton. It's like when you say you want to pinch an inch, that's your subcutaneous fat. You also have deep within your body, visceral fat. That's the fat you don't see. That is the dangerous fat that causes insulin resistance, which could lead to type two diabetes. It could lead to GERD. It could lead to various cancers. It could lead to hormone imbalances. So when I determine a goal weight for someone, I'm taking into account their subcutaneous fat as well as their visceral fat. Many people don't realize that. So when they say they want to lose 20 pounds, it's their subcutaneous fat that they're looking at. They don't realize they may have another 20 pounds inside their body. So I use different measurements. I use BMI. I use their age. I use their current height and weight. Many factors to determine what their goal weight is. But usually my goal weight for my client is less than what they are expecting. But they need to get that weight off in order to keep it off forever. Or those fat cells, that visceral fat, is going to keep on multiplying and getting larger and larger without us realizing it. Number two mistake people make is they don't learn how to eat, they learn how to diet. As I said, the yo-yo diet, they go on, they go off. What we wanna do is teach them how to eat for life, not to diet and to get them to a good goal weight so that visceral fat has been reduced and it's been shrunk and it will not grow back. So it's a two-step process. That's why I say, I don't let my clients choose their weight. I tell them what they need to be. So generally what I'm hearing then is that you're telling them that the number that they have to lose is even more than they think they have to lose? Correct. Nine times out of 10, it is correct. I use a BMI chart and I use an age chart. Again, I use many factors. A man I can get who is in his 40s, 50s, 60s, back to what he was in his 20s, a woman, I can never do that. They go through hormonal challenges and changes. A woman in her 40s, 50s, 60s, I will not get back to what she was in her 20s, but I do have certain ranges I get them to as well. So does that also include exercise or we're just talking about eating? Exercise is wonderful. I advocate it, but you can lose weight without exercise. You cannot exercise though alone and expect to lose weight. Right. So, so what I usually buffets and stuff. Right. What I usually suggest is get a handle of your weight, lose some weight, then we'll incorporate the exercise. I advocate exercise 100%. Well, for someone, for so many other reasons as well. It's not just about the weight loss. I mean, it's 100%. just- 100%. You know, Cardiovascular health, health, bone health. health 100%. Mental health. I just went to the gym today, so I agree. Yeah, in the snow. In the snow. <laughs> right. So what are you finding as one of the foods that people 
think is good for them, but is really not so good? Or is it, it depends on the different bodies? How does that work? Well, let me start by saying the food that I find that people try to shy away from that is really good, carbs. Hmm. Everyone is saying no carbs, protein, protein, protein. Protein is not necessarily needed in such great quantity. And it can be very detrimental if you eat too much protein. What well, on the other hand, if you're exercising, you definitely need those carbs. And it's the whole grain. It's the oatmeal. It's the whole wheat bread. Even whole wheat pasta is fine. So, and, and bread, potatoes, those are great foods that we need to sustain our body, especially for exercising. And we should not shy away from the carbs. Whereas the protein I find is sometimes overloaded to the point where it's more detrimental than helpful. What would a good breakfast be for someone who needs to lose 30 pounds? What would you be suggesting? Like you determine um, that they need to lose 30 pounds. I, I find determine lose 30 pounds. Again, we allow so much variety on the program. There's not one cookie cutter shape fits all. I would suggest if they're exercising in the morning, they should have protein, some eggs, Toast is great to go along with that. A little bit of an addition for their dairy and a vegetable. That would be a great uh, breakfast. Some people though only want oatmeal for breakfast. That's fine too. So um, a hearty breakfast or a medium breakfast? Because the first I, again, one was sounded very hearty, and now we're saying first one was very hearty. Again, for somebody who's going to exercise in the morning after their exercise routine, I would suggest a hearty breakfast prior to exercise. Fruit is fine. You should not exercise on an empty stomach, but you shouldn't exercise on a full stomach. Fruit is fine to start after exercise, a nice hearty breakfast. Most people, again, there's some controversy, but from what I've researched, most people feel you should start your day with a good hearty breakfast. It makes sense. Breakfast is breaking your fast. There is some are some people who like to postpone having their breakfast. They, just, they say they don't have a, a hunger uh, enough hungry enough feeling when they wake up. My feeling is if you eat dinner at a good time the night before and have a very light snack, not past eight o'clock, you will be hungry for breakfast. It's when you eat late at night, you're not hungry for breakfast the next day. But sense. generally speaking, I like to start with a nice size breakfast. And again, a bowl of oatmeal with a fruit is a nice size breakfast too. So if I go walking at six o'clock in the morning, I can't even imagine eating before that. I, mean, I, I would drink a lot of six. Water. That's that's kind of early. Yeah. So I mean, I drink enough water because it's hot here. Very um, important hydration. Very important. And one thing that I, I did learn more recently is to drink a lot because sometimes I think I'm hungry and I just and just drinking and then checking with myself. I'm not really hungry. Good especially point. Especially here, we have certain signals in our brain. Hunger and uh, thirst signals sometimes get intertwined. And I always tell my clients, before you think you're hungry, take a drink of water. It could be that you're really thirsty. If after you've drunk that water, you're still hungry, yeah, you're hungry. But many times we misrepresent hunger for thirst. Um, actually, thirst for hunger. Thirst for hunger. So then what I'm hearing is that if you're kind of checking in, if you're really hungry, then we're not really going so much by a schedule that you must eat your snack at 11 and your lunch by 1.30 because otherwise we wouldn't be checking in so much. Uh, well, no, we do put our clients on a schedule. I find that the majority of people who are overweight don't have any type of schedule. They just grab. Hmm. They may skip breakfast. 
skip a snack, then comes two o'clock, they're starving and they eat everything in sight. Then they're so full, they skip their snack and then dinner comes, they're starving again. So what we do try to do is put people on a schedule. Have breakfast between eight or nine. Have a snack between 10 and 11. Have your lunch between 12 and one. Two snacks in the afternoon and then dinner like six or seven. Last snack of the day should be not later than eight. I help my clients plan their schedule not everyone's is gonna be exactly the same, but we should try to regiment our bodies that we're used to eating a certain time every day and a certain amount every day. It, it gets your body more regulated. It helps your metabolism increase. Most people I see their metabolism is not working correctly. And what we're trying to do is get them set on a regular schedule so their metabolism will begin to kick in and work optimally. And that way we can stay in the schedule as far as elimination also. Like it's a new, it's just everything. It's a, it's a lifestyle. In other words, it's taking care of your body, not grabbing, but planning. We, I always say, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. So let's say someone's going to a wedding and um, some, some weddings have really nice morgues and then really nice dinners. So what should we do? So, I mean, I've heard people say, eat a salad before so that you're not hungry so you won't eat anything at the wedding. But there's such good food there. What is the advice? It all depends. If you're in diet mode, when I say diet mode, if you're trying to lose weight, it's different than if you're trying to maintain weight. I say I'm on maintenance for life. I know how to eat. Basically, I can eat anything I want. Will I eat everything I see inside of the wedding? No. I still plan to eat you know, portion control in moderation, but somebody who is trying to watch their weight and trying to lose weight, I do advise they eat something beforehand so they don't come in starving. I usually suggest a yogurt and a fruit beforehand um, to get that dairy in for the day because they're not going to be having the milk hooks once they get to the wedding. Right. Usually helps curb their appetite. They're not starving when they enter. And I suggest when they go to the smorgasbord, go for the fruit, go for the vegetables, go for a little protein, just to stave off the hunger until the main course is served, because usually the main course isn't served until a few hours later. At the main course, again, I suggest the protein, the vegetables. If they want to wash, fine. Do not eat the whole challah roll. It's humongous. Have a little bit of it, you know, to be, you know, uh, happy, you know, for the challah and the, and the right. chasen and to partake. But everything basically is portion control in moderation. You can enjoy without eating more than you should. So I do this and I wonder what your thought is that I actually walk around the buffet once, see which things are worth, Yes, you know, which yes. things that are, to me, I like new food. I like trying new food. So right, much right. that I haven't tried. I know the pasta with the mushrooms is delicious. I don't need that anymore. Cause I know I like I to try, try new things too. Yeah. So sometimes the new things are not as particularly healthy, but I like the experience of the trying. Of <laughs> I so, survey the situation too. I, I go around, take note what I want to try, and then go back to those things 100%. And I tell my clients as well, if you see something you really want, have it. Because what happens is if you deprive yourself too much, it backfires, and then you want to eat everything inside. Have that one thing that really looks good. Same thing when you go on vacation. And, and don't splurge on everything inside. Plan. I'm going to have something this day. I'll have something that day. But choose wisely. Choose what you really want to have. And mm -hmm. don't have any regrets. Don't have any guilt about it. Right. So don't have any guilt about it. But like I go someplace, like when we went to Rome and they had so many good things to choose that you're never really going to find anyplace else. I chose a lot. <laughs> but each I day or did you plan each day something different? Actually, each day I ate a little too much, but there was food. I felt like 
I'm not coming back to Rome. I'm going to be able to. You want to get all in. Let me just have it. It's not as if I'm turning a new habit. It, to me, it was part of the experience, the traveling experience. It happens. Again, I don't perceive you as having I don't a weight issue. So I don't travel that much either. So. And I don't, I'm going to say we don't always travel. I, that's one something on my bucket list to go to Rome. Venice, we were in Venice. I was in Venice too. But my feeling is still we, we can eat in moderation, not to the point where we're stuffed. You know, comfortably full. Ours another day. We can also take doggy bags home for the portion control. We don't have to eat everything we see on our plate. But I think the main thing is people have to learn what a portion actually is. I don't think anyone really is taught that in school. Parents certainly don't know. I have a lot of teens who come to me and they tell me they bring the information back to their house and their parents are so appreciative because they don't really know what a portion is. So what and is a portion? Basically, a portion. if you go by the FDA, it's a little different than what we say. We get a little more generous. Mm -hmm. A portion of protein for poultry and meat is four ounces. For fish is five ounces. That's one portion. Um, eggs, two, two eggs is a serving, not three or four or five. Mm -hmm. um, and for dairies, we always go by a slice of cheese. Light cheese is a half of a portion. Two slices would be one size, would be one, one portion. Mm -hmm. A yogurt Again, I go by calories. 80 to 120 is one portion. We have a lot of information that we give our clients and let them know what a portion is so that by the time they're done with our program, they know what a portion size is. They don't have to weigh anymore because they actually know what a portion looks like. But until they really do know, we have our clients weighing the portion amounts. That's the only way they're going to learn what it is. Mm -hmm. So I was just going to ask, do you actually start off with a scale? They Eventually, you can eyeball it. Eventually, you can eyeball it. But in the beginning, would you know what four ounces of chicken look like? I was going to ask you, what is that? It, it, with the bones, it's about the, the size of a fist, but it could be a thin chicken cutlet. It could be a thick chicken cutlet. You, you really don't know. So again, we have our clients weighing and measuring. By the time they're on stabilization and maintenance, they know what a portion is. They do not have to weigh anymore. If they choose to, they can, but they really know what a portion looks like. Mm-hmm. And not everything has to be weighed. It's mainly the proteins like the chicken, the roast beef, the turkey, the otherwise it's self-evident. Going back to the carbs, are there any carbs that are better? Is Ezekiel bread better than whole grain bread? Ezekiel is bread same? is great. It's I actually recommend that to clients who are pasiestrel because it's good. It's um it's allowable. I generally like the whole wheat breads. Stearns makes a whole wheat bread. I like to get more bang for your buck. So I always tell my clients, find a bread that is less in calories, that is still healthy, and you can get two slices as a portion. Otherwise, like with Ezekiel, one slice is a portion. Hmm. Again, there is a limit to the amount of carbs a person should have per day. It shouldn't be unlimited, just like protein shouldn't be unlimited and dairy shouldn't be unlimited. Everyone's program is customized to them. We tell them how many proteins, how many grains, how many dairies, how many fruits, how many vegetables, and how many fats they should be having every day. Just as a, for instance, the average woman, I'm talking about average being 5'5", five five, in her 40s, at a good weight, should be having at least two to three proteins per day, at least two to three milks per day, at least three to four fruits, at least six to seven vegetables, and at least one fat per day. Wow. Can you say that again? It's a lot of food. It's a lot of again, food. At a good weight. I'm not talking about 
on a weight loss mode. I'm talking about a good weight. They should be having consuming two to three proteins per day, two to three milks per day, two to three grains per day, three to four fruits, six to seven vegetables, and about one fat per day as well, in addition. So let's go back to the milk. Let's go back to the milk. Is that mm -hmm. drinking milk or that could be yogurt? or It could be yogurts, cheeses, ice creams. On our program, we, we include healthy, low-fat ice creams as well. It's not just a boring program where you're eating the same food every day. And again, I take into account if people have milk allergies or if they're lactose intolerant, there are parv alternatives we can use too, like almond milk and rice milk and almond yogurts and, and parv yogurts and even parv cheeses. I have people who have celiac, people who have lactose intolerance, many different conditions out there. And another thing I tell people, you have to eat to lose weight. Many people are under the impression you cut back calories in order to lose weight. Say that again, you have to Sorry. eat in order to lose weight. You have to eat in order to lose weight. I have so many people who have not lost weight for years because they undereat. And what happens is you go into famine mode, your body thinks it's trying to starve itself, and it prevents you from losing weight. I have many women who have been in famine mode for years and do not lose weight for that reason. Once they start our program and I give them more food, they start to lose weight. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but you have to eat food to lose weight. It makes sense now that you say that, like you need to have energy in order to live. And if the body's gonna store it, store whatever little bit it's getting, then yeah, it makes sense that yeah. you had more food. Yeah, I, I've had many women who said that for years they've tried to lose weight. They exercise and they do this and they do that. And I say, and you eat too little food. And they look at me like I have, you know, horns coming out of my head. And I say, you need to eat more food. And once they start going on a regimen where they're eating more, the weight comes off. So question to you then is if you don't eat in a schedule, but you eat the right amount of food for, per day, but not on a schedule, does that impact how you, you lose weight? Or yes, yes. Weight? There is recently a study that came back, came out, which I've been promoting for years to get your carbs in earlier in the day for breakfast and lunch and get the bulk of your food in for breakfast and lunch. Have a lighter dinner if you can. They've just come out with a study proving this, that the earlier you eat your food, your heavier food, the better you will lose and maintain your weight. So I always advise my clients, the women especially, if you're having the grains, which you should be having, the carbs, get them in for breakfast and lunch. Mm -hmm. Again, you can do it for dinner. Friday night Shabbos is different. Shalash Shudas is different. But as a rule, I try to have my clients get their grains in earlier in their day. Try to have your main meal for lunch. Again, not the American way, I understand. So many people do have their main meal for dinner. But I said, you know, Try to you know, swing it up a little bit, change it around and have your main meal for lunch because it has been proven the earlier you get your food in and the heavier you get in during the day, the better it is for your body in terms of weight loss and maintenance. Okay, so definitely the heavier food in the morning or earlier in the day. Correct. But we said earlier you should eat between eight and nine and then your snack between 10 and 11, whatever. If you... Change your schedule. One morning you'll eat your heavy, your good, your hearty breakfast at six, and then the next day at eight, and then the next day at seven. So you're eating the right time, eating the heavier mm -hmm. foods in the morning, but switching it you're up. Just a switching lot. the time. Sometimes it happens. We all have different schedules. As a rule, 
It's better for your body to have the same time every day or to approximate the same time. It gets your metabolism working better. But again, life happens. I work with people who have busy lifestyles and sometimes they have things that come up. We work with it. But yeah, to answer your question, it is better to have a time, an approximate time every day for your breakfast, for your lunch, for your dinner. So if you can organize your schedule, like of course life happens and then really life happens and life happens and you may not be able to have access to any healthier foods and you just eat whatever is available because you're hungry. That's life happens. But if you can schedule your life, like in the morning, wake up, whatever time, exercise, mm-hmm. shower, whatever, breakfast, and have it as a schedule. If you can organize it, what we're hearing is that it's really better to, especially on the food side also, to keep it into a schedule. Correct, correct. One of the things we help our clients to to do is to organize their life, organize their eating. Once they do get that under control, it sort of breaks off into other areas of their life as well. Many people are not organized in their life with many things. And once they get this under control, they have the planning, the food preparation. Uh, It just seems to blossom and they become a much more organized individual. Well, I've been also thinking that organizing like the cutting of the salad and cooking, like you have to put in all of a sudden, you know, and so we, we help our clients do that. We help them do that. A lot of preparation can take place the night before. Many parents um, are busy in the morning, getting kids off to school, getting themselves off for work. So we do a lot of preparation the night before. Tupperware containers, plastic bags come in very handy, but that's where the planning organization takes place. So A lot of it is behavior modification, changing the old habits, the way things that we've been doing that have not been working, forming new, good, organized habits. I'm curious about food journals. Is that something that you do? We do, but a little differently. We don't journal after the fact. It doesn't really do you any good. We use what we call a food planner. We help our clients plan what they're going to eat that day. So there is no guesswork and they do it the night before. They plan, they think about it. What do I want for breakfast? What do I want for lunch? What do I want for dinner? And what do I want for my snacks? I show them how to fill it out. Initially, I do it for them for the first week, but I get them organized that they will be doing their food planner. And that's their communication with me. If they're planning correctly, that's half the battle. The other half is eating the food, but the first half is the planning. So we plan beforehand. It's not a journal afterwards what you've eaten. That that doesn't really help you. It's to plan what you are going to eat. So I'm also hearing that is when you're planning your day, like knowing where you're going to be and you may not have access to food as easily, like, so then you have to really plan it. Like, or you have meetings, so you really have to plan. That usually you do know in advance. In other words, if you have a meeting the next day, you'll know that in advance. Right. You still have to plan the food. Exactly. Where your food is going to be. If the meeting is right with your typical lunchtime, then you have to plan maybe a little snack before or after or how you're going to do it. Otherwise, you may just end up at the snacking because you didn't figure out that's what most people do end up doing because they are not planning so it is it's a lot of planning involved but once you have that that food plan for a few weeks you can repeat them you see what works well what doesn't work and you repeat it so in the long run it, it comes out easier once you've planned it so what i heard is a few people complaining about they don't like to bring the tupperware to lunch to, uh, for work to work and they don't like to have it the dirty Tupperware to bring it home and like that whole thing. Get disposable ones that you can throw out. Yeah. The days I go to, to my office, I have a cool pack with an ice it. 
I bring my breakfast, I bring my lunch, and I bring my snacks. I'm usually home in time for dinner. But if not, I bring my dinner too. Do what you got to do. It's, it's how badly do you want to adopt a healthy lifestyle? Right. So um, maybe go from the beginning, but, you know, and you could be up aware. You, some of them are really cute. Yeah. And, and some could be completely disposable. Um, they do make disposable containers these days. Um, you can invest in it. You can get like packages of, of a certain amount and, and after you know, a month, invest in a new amount. But it all boils down to, I, I ask my clients three reasons why they want to adopt a healthy lifestyle, why they want to lose that weight. And I keep going back to those three reasons to re-motivate them and find out, does that still hold true? And if it does, okay, we, we make the extra effort. To, to use that Tupperware container or to purchase that cool pack or to get that ice it or to plan the night before. You, you make that effort. So what are people's typical midlife women? What are their typical reasons why they want to lose weight? Maybe many, someone listening could have an inspiration. So many reasons. Some, they want to fit into clothing again and, and look good. Okay. It, it's purely looks. Right. Some, it's health. I have many clients with health issues. They have diabetes that they've suddenly developed, which can be reversed if it's type two and it's because of weight or it's high cholesterol that they've suddenly developed and they don't want to keep taking a statin, which can be reversed. Again, if it's not familial, some people always have high cholesterol or high blood pressure because it's hereditary, but many times it's because of weight, high blood pressure. They don't want to keep on taking blood pressure medication. Uh, a reunion they're having with some of their old high school friends and they want to look good. <laughs> it could be all different reasons. Some are becoming grandparents. They want to be able to play with their anaclach and get down, down the floor. on the floor. I'm just yeah. gonna get down on the and floor. not get out of breath. There's so many reasons that there isn't any one. There really are so many. And I always help motivate, re-motivate my clients based upon the reasons that they listed for why they want to lose that weight. So you keep reminding them. I keep reminding them because it's hard to keep that motivation throughout the whole program. You know, we're motivated, we're excited in the beginning, but halfway through the program, you're getting those compliments, you're feeling good, you're not as exactly motivated anymore. You have to re-motivate and, and ask them, do those reasons why you wanna lose weight still hold true? Also, this, the, the sense of that there's an end in sight, they do realize that once they get to go weight, you will be allowed more food than when you are on the program, because we are on diet mode, even though I, I call it a lifestyle change, it's still reduced calories. Once they get to their goal weight, they are allowed more foods than they are on the program. So there is an end in sight. And again, sometimes people do need to be remotivated. So you're motivated for the reason, with the reason. Their why. And also. Everybody has that. a different why. And I think for, so their why's may be different, but also their Daily schedules may be different. So you also would motivate them along and help come up with new plans. Exactly. Exactly. That's why they are held accountable two to three times a week we meet. And the accountability is a very big factor. They know come Monday, they're going to be reporting to me. Come Wednesday, they're reporting to me. And come Friday, sometimes they're reporting to me. Little room for error. But yeah, people go off the derrick sometimes. So that's what I do. I help them plan. I help them recalibrate and get get back on. Do you find that the summer, the spring, summer, people's eating habits change a little just seasonally? A hundred percent. I find that they're, they're more energetic in the summer, more willing to drink water. It's not a big an issue drinking the water, more conducive to doing exercise, which can sometimes increase appetite. 
I find in the winter appetites aren't as as large, but people seek comfort foods more in the winter. Uh, so again, you have to accommodate that also. There has to be certain treats that people are allowed to have as well. So someone who's not on your program, but that's just they're listening in, what could they know that may come their way based on typical or or in the spring, what might change about the way they want to eat or they want, or they should be eating something? Let's talk to the spring, which is really going to come soon. It really yeah, is coming. Please God, yes. Coming. Um, not a day like today when you see snowflakes outside and you see the rain coming and, and the bitter and the wind, it, it, it's not coming soon enough. So what should they prepare themselves for in the spring? Right. Well, first of all, they're shedding their clothing. So they're, they're going to see some things that they may not want to see, right. but they should just look forward to um, enjoying their food in a healthy way because there is a, a large variety of food available come spring in terms of the spring, the fruits that are available, the peaches and the plums and the melons and everything that's becoming available. There's more opportunity to eat healthy, I think, in the spring, spring and summer months. I think it's also about rebirth. A lot of people feel better once the spring comes. They start feeling better about themselves. There's such a thing as sad in the winter when right. you don't feel as uh, your best. So I just think it's like a rebirth and it's a... a positive outlook that we should be looking forward towards. And this is wrapping up. Now that Pesach is coming, we're just a few days, I mean, a few weeks before Pesach. Is there something that we should do specifically on Pesach or start start a maintenance, uh, start a weight reducing program before Pesach or just wait till after Pesach? Never wait. There's three and a half weeks till Pesach. I, I have people calling me all the time. Why postpone? You can start now on, a, on you know, making little changes. Um, in terms of Pesach, I always say a lot of the recipes, you can reduce the eggs and it will not make a difference or take out the yolk and use the whites. It will not make a difference. Also, you don't always have to wear, eat matzah every meal. Matzah is important to eat, but you don't have to eat every meal. The seders is one thing. But during the week, Halamite, you don't have to eat matzah for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Potatoes are a good option instead of having matzah too. Right. Nothing wrong with a baked potato. The skin is extremely healthy. It has a lot of fiber, very filling. So again, make changes before Pesach comes, continue with Pesach and continue afterwards. I think that that planner, and especially is like plan your Pesach menu, like what you're going to eat as opposed to whatever people are going to eat. Because you, if you're the one who's making the food, putting aside the Pesach programs, which is a whole different, mm -hmm. really hard for eating properly. But if you're the one who's making the food, there's so much food that you're making, you could also make food for yourself. Like this 100%. kind of food. Since you're in the and sometimes uh, my clients have said they make food for themselves and their children and their spouses like it as well. So I say make double. We have so many recipes, really good recipes. There's no reason why you have to make different for your family many times. You can make the same thing for everyone. And a few years ago, I discovered the air fryer for Pesach. And it was like a real changer. Oh, wow. I haven't gotten that, but you suggested. Oh, yes. I mean, the French fries only oil and they taste like they're oil. Saying, for Pesach, I would never think of getting, I guess for Pesach, it's a great idea. Yeah. Why not? It was easier. So mm -hmm. that was just a one, one year we treated ourselves. And then we, then we brought it into Hametz, but I think that it was a really good thing for half Pesach. I, I, yeah. Why not? Why not? But also to make things easier, the easier preparation you can have, um, blenders, food processors, use them. 
the easier the prep is, the more you're gonna wanna do it. The harder the prep is, the more you're gonna stay away from it. So again, get all those gadgets. The air fryer sounds great, get that also. Um, but the more you can make your life easier, the more you're gonna wanna, you know, and I also as well. And Pesach is an opportunity to go, go as natural as possible. I know that some people have the specifically that's what their family customs are. Right. But I know right. there is, you know, there is ketchup, but you don't have to have ketchup. It's like kind of go back and it's a way to, to start all having those, all of that. All those extra little things, the condiments, um, add so many hidden calories that you don't realize. Mayonnaise, ketchup. Um, relishes. They have hidden sugars and salts. Um, mayonnaise particularly, I always recommend the light mayonnaise. Don't get the regular mayonnaise. It, it's like triple the amount of calories and triple the amount of fat. Um, butter, margarine, all those added things add so many hidden calories, but unhealthy calories as well. So yeah. I just find it for me, Pesach was when, when, when I saw that I could eat salads, I could eat proper protein and I didn't have all those options of I mean, our family is pretty strict about the ingredients that we use and I, so that I, I could actually have really good meals you, you taste the food you don't taste the additions squirt a little bit of lemon juice on the salad a little bit good, of olive oil. olive oil great or avocado oil what are your thoughts avocado. about avocado mayonnaise these days um I like avocado oil I think it's a great oil to use avocado mayonnaise I'm not familiar with avocado mayonnaise. You know, there's avocado oil mayonnaise. Whole Foods has it now. I don't know if it's for Pesach, but they have it. Interesting. $9 for a thing like this. So I'm just curious. I haven't seen it. I, I would imagine it's probably pretty healthy, avocado mayonnaise. Whether it tastes the same as mayonnaise, I don't know. <laughs> I use the light mayonnaise. I don't like the just too good, which is the 15 calorie one. Right. I find it's very artificial tasting. I'm more into not using Splenda and Stevia right. and all those artificials. So I get the light mayonnaise. Um, but avocado mayonnaise sounds good. I would try it. All right. Try it. Yeah. So and nothing wrong with the light mayonnaise either. Nothing wrong with it. Sounds in good moderation. Enough. A light mayonnaise in moderation, not to put a half a cup in instead of using a half a cup of, you know, instead of using a tablespoon of regular, you put a half a cup of the light. That's not good. You need to still use portion control in moderation, but nothing wrong with light mayo. And here's my last question. Is it worth trying to retrain your taste buds to have food that is not as exciting? or like have less sugar, or don't put sugar in your coffee, or less mayonnaise in your, I don't know, tuna or whatever it is. Sugar is one of the things we do, we train our taste buds for, but a big one in our program is salt. Mm. Salt is actually, in my opinion, worse than the sugar. Most people, before they eat anything, what do they do? They shake the salt on their food. And like I said, they've come out with a recent study. If you lessened your salt by just a minute amount, it would prevent heart attacks and heart disease and stroke. So my feeling is we need to retrain our taste buds. Don't put the salt on the table or start shaking the salt before you try your food. Don't add that sugar before you actually try the food. In moderation, a little bit of salt added is not bad. A little bit of sugar is not bad. I'm not totally against no sugar and no salt. The average American has way too much sugar per day. Look at the cereals that they have. Right. The children, terrible. Cheerios is not bad. I always say that's a number one cereal that I promote. Yeah. But most of the children's cereals are terrible. Very high sugar. And then um, the food coloring on top of that. And the food coloring on top of it. Yeah. So sugar is one thing that we do need to retrain our, our palate for. Salt is another one, both equally the same. I, I wouldn't say sugar is worse than salt or salt is worse than sugar. They're both equally bad. 
Um, sugar is very addicting. So again, we, we start our clients off with a certain phase that we get rid of the salt, we get rid of the sugar to get their body used to not having that. But again, everything in moderation is my philosophy. Right. So like with my coffee, I actually stopped having sugar. So the first few times it was a little bit hard it's to well, have. But I knew that it was good for me. In a way. Mm -hmm. it was, but I knew it was good for me. It was actually, I went black and no sugar. So I just have straight black Turkish coffee. Wow. But, <laughs> but the first few times I was telling myself, I'm doing this for you, for myself. And now Totally and now fine. you're used to it. It's what you get totally used to. Fine. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of cream in your in your coffee, a little bit. I find that that gives it a little bit more flavor. It lightens it and a little tiny bit of tablespoon of cream in your coffee. Again, if you're not lactose intolerant or... Right. That, I just, I just part of it was just because I wanted to be able to have coffee anywhere. So I wasn't going to be mm -hmm. carrying around my cream. So black now coffee, coffee, a lot of people go for that. That's I, I can't have black coffee. <laughs> I haven't used... But I do cut out my sugar. I don't put sugar in now. Um, I either put the milk or the cream. Um, but yeah, a lot of people, they use the Splenda, the Stevia, the Equal, all those add, added um, fake sugars. And yet they'll have their donut or they'll have their cake or they'll have... So my feeling is if you eat normal in terms of get rid of those sweeteners, you'll be better, much better off. Okay, one more last question. Caffeine, coffee in general. What are your thoughts on that? How many coffees? Caffeine no coffee? is totally fine. Um, I have my large 20 ounce coffee per day, iced coffee, even though it's the winter because my office is stifling hot. Right. Um, but caffeine is totally fine. I wouldn't go more than three or four cups a day. You, you can get very jittery um, from mm -hmm. the caffeine more than that. But a, a lot of people do like two, three or four cups of coffee a day. Nothing wrong with that as far as I can see. And it's just, I guess, not before sleep, which should be a whole other midlife conversation. I, yeah, I would not do it seven, eight o'clock at night if you want to fall asleep. I usually just do my coffees in the morning. Latest for me would be about two. And then I don't have a trouble going to sleep at night. But yeah, if anyone is going to have caffeine seven or eight o'clock at night, be prepared to be up for the whole night. Right. All right. This has been so great, Rosalie. We've covered so much. Thank you. How I enjoyed this. Thank you, you very much. How could anyone reach you? I could be reached either um, at my phone number, which is 516-569-6400, or email Hewlett at Wait No More Diet Center. And I'll put that in the show notes also so people can actually just find you. Sure. Well, thank you so much. This was really, really informative. I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much for having me. Sure. And a Freilich and Kosher Pesach. Thank you for joining me in another fascinating conversation about midlife. If you'd like to reach me, Devara Krasniansky, to talk about your midlife or anything else, you can reach me at jewishmidlife at gmail.com and follow us at Jewish Midlife on Instagram and Facebook and join us in our conversations on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Jewish Women Talk About Midlife.